1: Although occasionally the vetgurus.com website doesn't work, Mark. I don't know why. The link to it sometimes plays up. So just do a Google search for Veterinary Podcasts with Brendan and Mark and you might find some interesting photos and pictures and and results there. But um, that's the place to go, vetgurus.com usually. And it is episode 156, Friday, September the 25th, 2020, Mark. And you've been
0: been a bit busy haven't you you've had a bit of a crazy day or two tell me about it it has been um a little bit busy it's been um I, I, it's an interesting thing brendan i was going to say to you that um like we're a practice that has um uh, that does uh you know a uh, um I, I reckon it's about 50 50 now the percentage of dog and cat Companion work would be half, and uh, maybe even less. And the balance of the practice is um, avian and exotic work, and um, and uh, and I think those those uh, numbers have been f- getting even more. Um, more noticeable the increase in the avian and exotic cases and the other thing that's been interesting is that they're getting more complex i reckon a lot of the um the uh introductory level cases that um that i would thrive on being that introductory sort of bloke um the cases of of, that we're seeing now as referrals and whatnot jeff definitely seem to be um you know uh uh um an order of magnitude more complex and difficult. Um and it's good because uh people are allowing us to um to work cases up, which is a good thing. Um but uh but yeah it does sometimes wear on you, Brendan. It does wear on you these cases.
1: Well I'm trying to be positive here. Is that, that's not potentially a bad thing, is it? Um, it's, it's good to see more of those cases and it's...
0: You've always been have a glass half bright. full sort of guy.
1: <laughs> Until I drink that glass and then it's... Um, I'm down the bottom of the glass then, Mark, and... Um, then I get very philosophical, don't I? As you know, <laughs> when we've had a few glasses together. Um, but enough about that. I think we need to talk about our country with one listener, as um, we're trying to remember to give a shout out to a country with one listener or one subscriber. And this week, Mark, it's somewhere, well, I want to know whether or not you've visited this country, P- perhaps not. One of the few that you haven't. It's Lithuania,
0: Mark. Oh, the wonderful Lithuania. (laughs) Yes. Have you visited there? I have not. But I feel very connected to Lithuania because when I was a much younger basketball player, um, I did spend a lot of uh, time playing with uh, um, the Lithuanian club. Um, I almost, I think I gained an honorary uh, Lithuanian citizenship uh, playing with uh, my good friends from Lithuania and um and they're wonderful names. How did
1: that come about, Mark?
0: Oh, there's a community long. near you? Yeah. Yes. There's <laughs> a community in Western Sydney. Um and uh and yeah, they're mad keen basketballers, and so it was an easy uh, relationship to cultivate. But um, but I, and so I wonder I wonder two things about our listener in Lithuania. First of all, are they um an avid basketballer? Do they follow the basketball in Lithuania? And does their name end in AS? Almost every um, uh, or US, almost every Lithuanian name I know ends in a AS or US. So I'll be interested in the feedback from our listener in Lithuania. Please
1: contact us, send an email to vetgurus at gmail.com and um, bounce that over to us, and we'll promptly reply or perhaps you will mark um, depending on who um what their surname is I and mean, if if they do not have a surname with those two letters you'll be i'll be embarrassed like I mean, you'll be embarrassed as well yes. okay so i'm going to well keep it moving really quick today mark or tonight or this afternoon depending on when you listen I want to do a review, and I know I've been stating I had a few reviews up my sleeve, Mark, and the first one this week is a it's a beauty, Mark, and you did say you have this, but you have not really looked at it yet, um, which is shame on you, Mark, um, and I'm talking about the Merlin Bird ID app by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, and it's available on the App Store for Apple people and on Google Play for Android pe- people, and it is fantastic, Mark. It is so fantastic. This, this Bird ID app is amazing, and it it's well in their little blur, but it talks about Merlin's ability to identify birds seem like magic, but it's powered by science. And basically, what it does is it asks you. So, you, and I was using it well on the weekend, Mark. I was sat outside, and a bird. Um, perched nearby and i opened up merlin and it asked you five questions which include which include i think i know three of the five questions it's what is the size of the bird and um you know small medium large extra large extra small um is it on the ground is it Perched in a tree? Is it on a fence, etc.? Um, the third one was what? What is the main colours of the bird? Um, I forget what the last two were. Um, and then based on that and your location. And it's, it, I think they have more than 6,000 bird species. 7,500. Well, there you go in the database. Um, so, and, and it's regionalized. Um, f- so you download, um, obviously the Australian map is what I downloaded, or the um, Australian species is what I downloaded. And, uh, it's, it's, yeah, remarkably accurate. And then you can log, it says, is this your bird? Um, and it pulls up a Indian mine <laughs> and uh um, you log the bird and uh it, it, you can then log where you saw it, whether it's um you know in your ha- in your backyard or whatever I'm not quite sure about it. i haven't sussed out whether or not it's it randomizes that or it uh, anonymizes that mark um because I'd be a bit worried if you know you were um, marking lots of birds in an area like your own ha- home that you didn't want other people to see when it's, you know, if you're online. Um, <laughs> in case, nefarious people, Mark, nefarious people might want to come and um, visit me and um, make comment about the birds I'm seeing in my backyard. Um, and then, <laughs> then, it, then it, links, it links to the bird songs, Mark, of the particular species and, and to facts about that particular species. And then if it has minimal information there, it then links back to the cornell lab of ornithology mark and um, where they have this massive database about birds so it it i can't say enough about it mark it is excellent i'm actually going to give it a nine and a half out of ten mark
0: And it's free. It's free as well. It's free. I know it has got ticks every box. Um, I was embarrassed when you suggested this as a review because I've had it on my phone for some time and literally haven't uh, turned it on. I've had several people say to me how good it is and now your recommendations pushed me beyond the pale. Just while we were talking, I just um, plugged one of my photos in because you can do it by photography as well, Uh, plug Ah. a photo into the app. It smashed it just milliseconds and tells me the exact species and, like you said, gives you a a list of of links and and calls and whatnot, Um, it's outstanding. So I appreciate being prompted to activate the app on my phone. And I think you should become one of the
1: contributors to it, Mark. I think they have over five thousand contributors across the globe helping out with um, the Merlin app. So you need to, you need to get stuck into it, Mark. Um, so yeah, it's it's wonderful, and it's a um, it's a free app, and um, they do take donations, which go to to the Cornell um, um, Ornithology Lab. Um, and that's we'll link to it at our website. And, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. And uh, I think their main sort of overarching website area that they have there is called eBird, Mark, yeah. um, which, yeah. which which holds everything in there. So it's great. Excellent. So that's my review for this
0: week, Mark. Excellent. That's an excellent review, Brendan. Quite possibly the best one we've ever done. <laughs> oh. Well, I wouldn't say that. It's
1: about birds, um, so <laughs> it's a bit of an oxymoron, isn't it? Um, no, it's excellent, and it made me it made me feel very warm and fuzzy about um, the birds that our dogs were trying to catch and eat um, in the backyard.
0: Um, you know what I love news like stories. You? Just before you yes. do your news story, yes. I was just going to say yes. that um, it is ever since I've like I've always had an interest in birds, but over the last few years I've become, you know, I've hung around with more twitchers, and so identifying the species has become much more, um, uh, uh, much more of a driving force. And of course, if, if you can identify the species, then obviously a whole range of Um, things flow from that. You understand their ecology. You understand the significance of that bird in that location. So, um, And it is amazing how once you develop a little bit of a reputation as someone interested, um, you do get lots of questions about that brown bird with the yellow face and what could it be and is it supposed to be there and all that sort of stuff. But having this app on your phone takes it to a new level. I love it, Brendan. Yes. Well...
1: One other thing, and I'm just flicking around the eBird site and, gee, have you done the eBird Essentials course, Mark? I have not, Brendan. It looks fantastic. It's a free course and it's about, um, it's an introduction to the um, world of birding, Mark, um, which I'm sure you'll smash through this course, but um, it looks fantastic. Um, A really, really good course. It's talks about tools to help you find birds wherever you go, gain confidence in submitting your sightings um, without being embarrassed. Um, well, that's my bit on the end there. Get expert tips for using eBird and joining the community. And you gain op- optional CEU credits, whatever they are, Mark. You get 0.3 of a credit for doing it. It is a continuation, continuing education unit credit get mark so there you go um which you can add towards um well probably nothing much at all Uh, a um an online um twitching um bachelor degree perhaps who knows yeah so it's the cornell lab of ornithology mark place to be place to go and yeah it's a good site so my new story mark well it's really just an announcement and um i I was contacted by our dear friends here at um care um so the international exotics conference um which was due to be in 2021 in Budapest, Mark, and has been postponed. Oh, and uh, it was originally 11th to the 15th of April 2021, and now it has been postponed to 2022. They don't have a date as such, but we will link to their website, which is easy to remember. It's just I Care, I C A R E 2021 dot EU. I expect that they'll also have icare 2022.eu for when it um, occurs in 2022, but um, I think I was hoping to be there um, in um, Budapest next year, Mark, um, but perhaps it will be not happening, which it isn't. So um, I hope to see exotic vets, including yourself, Mark, in 2022 in Budapest, because as you know, Mark, we um, had a pretty good time at iCare in in Venice, um, and there's been um, some amazing um, eye care conferences. London was the last one, wasn't it? Which I missed out on. You didn't did you go no, to London? No? no. And then, um, so we'll have to get to Budapest. So there we go. That's my um, news item. It's the um, delay of the Budapest eye care or the fifth eye care conference on
0: exotics. What's, what's your story, Mark? Brenda, my story is. Um is a celebration of <laughs> Hilarity. It's the um it's the 2020 Comedy Wildlife Photography Award finalists and obviously we'll link to the to the uh the web page. Um and uh and I know I know many people have seen one or two or whatever of these um photographs they've been doing the rounds on various social media platforms um and uh and the whole set of uh finalists um it's good to just flick through and have a look at them um and and um, and yeah they they definitely made me laugh brendan um they definitely brought a smile to my face um have you had a look at them brendan i definitely yes i
1: definitely <laughs> have um Reason why I was hesitating is you. um, You have a bit of a comment about what you're feeling about. I I know you've. I can hear it in your voice. Mark, (laughs) Um, get it out there. Um, What's your concern with this?
0: Look, every year I I have the same ambivalence to um, to this uh, um, to uh, to this competition um, and the the final winner. I I have the guilty pleasure of um, enjoying the jocularity. Um, uh, but then, I don't know, I just feel like um, there's a bit of uh, taken out of context, anthropomorphizing sometimes, even a little bit of, um, I don't know, uh, um, uh, uh, not, that, not that I'm implying in any of these photos anything adverse has happened. But um, I don't know, to take some of the images and some of the behaviours that the animals are performing and um, then filter them through a human perspective robs them of some of their intrinsic animal perspective, in my opinion. And, you know, uh, like you said to me before we started, I'm just being a wet rag on a fun filled competition, not uh not to absolutely enjoy everyone for the um, you know, fun that they are. Um, but uh, just some of them. I don't know. Look at that gorilla one. I don't that's not that funny, Brendan.
1: Well look at those two bears attempting to change the tire on that four wheel drive. <laughs> that's hilarious, Mark. It's <laughs> fantastic. It,
0: it would it wouldn't be hilarious when you and I got back to our four wheel drive after Exercising the Merlin app in the bush around where the bears were and tried to get going.
1: Yes, yes.
0: No, I see your
1: point, but yeah, that wasn't that, that gorilla
0: one wasn't that um, hilarious, was it? Um, But some of them are quite, quite interesting. What do you you reckon about the, um, there's one with a kestrel. It's towards the end. The bird's preening its feathers on its wing. I don't, I'm, am I missing the point? What's funny about that? Let me find it. So it's near the bottom, is it? Yeah. Um, I
1: cannot. This is great um, audio, isn't it? It's great <laughs> for people driving along. Uh, it's near the top for me. It's not near the bottom. They must randomise them. Yeah. Uh, is it looking like it's playing the violin or something? I'll click on it and it um, expands. Um, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure what why, they, um, yeah. why that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Although the I- penguin one's hilarious, isn't it? It's a big night out, and it's a peng- penguin at the back um, who's, who's throwing up. They've all been to the pub, um, and and that one's lagging behind, and he's having a bit of a bit of a vomit there.
0: What so. do you think about the the um the the turtle, the sea turtle? <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's see if I can find that.
1: Oh, yes, so I like that one. The sea, the sea turtle giving the finger. Yes, uh, yes. Um, yes, I like that. And there's a little Yoda. Um, have you seen the yes, little Yoda yes. one? Yes, uh, yes. So there you go. Um, small minds, <laughs> <laughs> funny photos. So we will link to that um, on our um, on our website link there, Mark. So yes, they're the f- gallery of winners, the finalists for 2020 for the. Comedy Wildlife Photography Awards um, and their their motto is conservation through competition, Mark. So uh, <laughs> the money does go towards conservation. So just remember that. And you can go to their shop and you can buy the prints or the books and calendars based on um, previous previous photos that were submitted there. So, so there are two news stories and uh, they're pretty light. Um, so there you go. Um, I think we're going to jump well, into well, and and it, you will have a you review say next week. Mark, that they were pretty light. To to
0: go. <laughs> yes. Did you say yes. those news stories yes. were pretty light? What a segue! Um, yes, that's
1: right. <laughs> our main topic, Mark. Our main topic. Let's jump into our main we're just, topic we're, this we're week. We started to have.
0: Yes. We've decided to have a talk about birds, Yes, surprisingly ahead. enough. We're going to have a talk about heavy metal toxicity in birds. Brendan, do you get to see many of these? Yes, casters? we are. We are. No, I don't
1: because I don't get um, to see too many awful. birds
0: these days. I try to... <laughs> Sorry,
1: there's a, this is a terrible podcast this week because there's a little bit of a delay between... Me receiving you and uh, you have been fading in and out a little bit and I'm not just saying that to be silly, but you have been. So um, feel free on just um, talking over me if you like, Mark. (laughs) Yeah. So heavy metal toxicity in birds. Yeah, that's our main topic this week, Mark, and no, we don't see um, very many of them. So um, I'm going to quiz you on it, Mark, as usual, with an avian topic. Um, So... By the sound of it, you do see a fair number of these, and if you do, um, what species do you see them in more commonly, and why?
0: Um, we see them v- uh, very commonly in parrots. We see them in parrots, particularly parrots that are um, uh, explorers of wood, um, So, uh, and particularly parrots that free roam in the house, so um, cockatiels would be chief amongst them. We see lots of cockatiels come in with heavy metal intoxication. But of course, the big, you know, the the, uh, macaws and the um, eclectus parrots, often the birds that uh, get out um, and have a bit of a free roam um, in the house are probably the primary birds that we see with this problem. Um, It is interesting that um, traditionally, uh, heavy metal intoxication would be something that... um, avian veterinarians would see in aviary birds that um, inexpensive uh, wire, um, uh, inappropriately uh, zinc-plated wire um, would be easy and cheap to obtain and use as a uh, an enclosure feature to a limiting factor in an enclosure to create an aviary. And, of course, uh, the birds would break off flake flakes of zinc plating, um, they taste apparently pretty nice and eat them. But um, the avicultural world has become so aware of this that uh, that they regularly either get better quality wire or um, treat the wire with uh, um, some uh, elbow grease and scrubbing and uh, acetic acid. And the wire is rarely, uh, you know, we don't see nearly as much um, av- aviary-based uh, heavy metal intoxication zinc toxicity as we once did brendan uh, but we certainly still see a lot of metal problems in pet birds so
1: what do you see how what's the presentation for these cases
0: well it, it does it is a little bit variable um and uh, and i suppose the way i think about it is depend it depends on the The metal predominantly, so the two main metals we see affect our birds are zinc and lead. And in the case of zinc, the signs that we see are predominantly gastrointestinal. Uh, conversely, with lead, um, we're seeing signs that do include gastrointestinal signs, but more often there's a neurologic component to them. Um, and certainly in both cases, we, uh, we see changes to other body systems as well. So we'll often see these birds become polyuric, um, and, uh, and maybe even, um, Not so much uh, we'll see respiratory signs unless the birds are painful and they're uh, tachypneic and breathing up. We might see some respiratory signs then.
1: And what's your work up for them? So, what's your what's your process with that bird that comes in? Um, you have a bit of well, um, the classic signs that the client will be ringing up to present that bird to your clinic for. Let's go back to that first, Mark. Right? Well,
0: definitely the 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 birds that key us in most immediately are the ones that have neurologic signs. There's um, clearly that would be one of the first. Uh, um, know, differentials where we have a bird that is mentally obtunded, um, that uh, uh um, has some gastrointestinal signs uh, um in the same circumstance, um, then we're immediately thinking about uh, uh, lead toxicity. And we're starting, particularly in these birds, history plays a, you know, their access to these things plays a critical role in the diagnostic process. So we definitely have um, cases that would we would be suspicious of um, and the, those birds might never get out of their, Um, out of their cage, out of their enclosure. And their enclosure we can have a good close look at and be relatively confident that there's not um, lead or zinc in there. Um, But um, if we know those birds roam free around the house then um, and they're starting and they're showing signs of um, nervous system and gastrointestinal signs, then we're very suspicious um, that uh, um, heavy metal's been a factor. Yes.
1: And what's your first step you then do with that bird in front of you that's presented? Well,
0: well like that. after obviously we do a good thorough physical exam. And probably the key thing we're looking for on physical exam is some evidence of gut stasis. Um, and probably the most outstanding thing that we'll see will be, um, you know, a full crop that the bird uh, has drunk eaten but that stuff hasn't gone through the gastrointestinal tract and just sits there um, in zinc cases they'll often feel so nauseous that they regurge so the crop might be empty um, but very often um, they'll present with a full crop that's uh, that doesn't empty and we've got to be careful particularly with larger birds, um, macaws um, uh, but all of the parrot species can have gut stasis associated with other things including bornavirus Um but, um, but certainly uh, gut stasis on a physical exam, a full crop would be um, one thing we look for. Then immediately we've got to that point where we've got a sick bird that's got neurologic signs and a full crop, then we probably drain the crop so that we don't have a risk with an anaesthetic and then get ourselves a radiograph. Now, this is a little bit of a, um, a um, complicated um, uh, diagnostic step because um, if you've got all those clinical signs and then you find uh, metal density particles in the gizzard, the location where most of the grit would be stored for four or six weeks in parrots, then I think you're probably at the point where you can make a... a uh, um, uh, a, a fairly confident diagnostic call and start treating that bird. Um, but there are definitely, you've got to be cautious because there are definitely birds that will have metal density particles in their crop, uh, in their gizzard, I mean. Um, and those metal density particles are not toxic. They're not lead or zinc. There are other metals that might not be causing any problem for the bird at all. And is there a giveaway
1: or or a tip for differentiating those ones or not?
0: No, there's not. They just look like metal density particles and you can definitely be caught. Um, You know, you must, I think it's a good piece of advice to um, have a high index of suspicion, but never commit absolutely to, um, to HMI in cases where you're making that diagnosis on the radiographs. The converse is true too, Brendan. There are, the absence of um, metal density particles in the gizzard um, is not evidence of heavy metal uh, toxicity not being your problem. There are um, definitely zinc salts and uh, lead salts and even um, the classic, the lead paint, the the metal in those uh Products, when it's ingested, may be uh, not enough to cause uh, problems with the, uh, you know, to cause radiographically evident uh, metal densities in the the um, in the gizzard. That lead paint, um, it, the particles of lead, may be uh, too small to register on the radiograph and be absorbed nonetheless. So, while radiographs is very useful. Um, uh, test, uh, useful diagnostic test, and it also gives you information about crop uh, the stasis in the rest of the gut, or maybe if there's something else that uh, it might alert you to. So it's definitely a useful diagnostic test, but it's certainly not the absolute answer, Brendan. So what
1: other testing regimes or or, or- or diagnostic methods can you do to help narrow things down and confirm?
0: Well, the the main one is our blood. The main one is blood assays. Um, taking blood samples and sending them off to have the concentration of heavy metals uh, in the blood assayed um, is sort of the gold standard. But there is a problem, Brendan. For clinicians, there's a big problem. Um, and what's that? Time. Time. <laughs> Time is the problem. That The big problem is that uh, for us here in New South Wales, for example, um, it would routinely take, um, for an urgent case, uh, it would take us uh, four to six days for to get um, a lead assay done, for example. Um, and so I think you can see the obvious problem, that by the time we've got a number, if we have waited for that number and not begun treatment, um, we may well be celebrating a diagnosis, but nonetheless have a patient that's dead. So um, it is a little bit difficult um, to count on those assays to return that information quickly enough to... um, to definitively begin treatment. So there would be many metal birds, metal, heavy metal intoxication cases where we've begun treatment on the suspicion um, that there's a problem and then had that confirmed by blood results at some point later. And, of course, the opposite's true. We've uh, started treatment and then ceased it once we've got the blood results confirming that that's not the problem.
1: Yes. And are there any? So there's no other fancy new or expensive in house um, lab systems that you can,
0: that will run, uh, that, that are available that will, will run those blood levels? Or oh, not? yes, there is. Um, and some clinicians do have those, uh, what do they call them? Um, uh, patient side um, assays. There's uh, um, one that's. Um, calibrated for human use that uh, human medicators will use in remote communities, for example, um, and there's a number of clinicians who have those in their hospital. Um, it's not been something that we've been able to justify the outlay um and have in our hospital but i know um some of our close colleagues use them quite successfully um and of course uh, there are other species that uh that can be um affected by uh, particularly lead um and so a lead the lead care machine which does those bedside patient side tests um can be leveraged particularly for practices maybe in the in the aging center of uh, um uh a uh, capital city where some of the buildings might be, um, you know, fifty, sixty, a hundred years old. So they would carry some layers of paint that uh, that would uh, would carry lead. Um, lead paint having been discontinued in the in the eighties, seventies, and eighties in Australia. Um, so so it is it is uh, certainly a useful thing in some circumstances to have those patient side tests. Yes. So you've got your diagnosis, Mark.
1: Yes. What's your next step? What's the treatment? Um, what's the treatment process? How long does it take? What's what is the success rate? Excellent questions,
0: Brendan. The treatment um, is chelation therapy. Precisely the um, <clears throat> precisely the treatment that's used in children, humans that have um, uh, heavy metal intoxication, um, and there are a number of. Um, Different chelating agents, but the one that uh, we have the most success with is calcium EDTA, um, and it's a little bit frustrating because we have to get that compounded. Now we used to have a commercial, commercially available. Um, calcinate calcium edta injectable preparation Um, uh, we have to get that compounded now and um, and it does work out to be more expensive Um, but um, it's the treatment of choice and our general plan with most birds is to uh, is to go for we don't like to chelate them for more than five consecutive days Um, the chelating Um, agent will take out a number of other um, uh, elements which are critical to metabolism Um, and uh, so we don't want an ongoing pattern of um, endless chelation. We normally go for five days. There will be certain birds I estimate in our hands with a positive diagnosis that um, five days will cure maybe 80 or 90% of the birds. But there will be a group of birds that, uh, that maybe have a piece of metal that's in the gizzard um, and, uh, and we chelate the dissolved metal ions that have arisen from it and take them out of effect. Um, But then subsequently the metal's still sitting there in the acid bath of the stomach and dissolves a little bit more Um, and so uh, we can have a relapse, Brendan. That's not an uncommon occurrence.
1: Yeah, so do you think it's one of these problems that Everybody has their own little, their own little formula and their own little um, method that they th- they tweak it based on how they've had responses with birds they've seen, as far as which, you know, how long to treat for and what what sort of dosage, etc.
0: Well, I think there there is a lot of controversy, and um and uh, you hint at the difference between different practitioners, and I think that is a um a, 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 a that's a genuine thing that if you spoke to um ten um, ten other avian practitioners—they'd all have their own little um, protocol. Their favorite, their favored treatment protocol. Um, some prefer to give chelating agents uh, orally. Um, some have preferred chelating agents over others, um, d penicillamine or um, calcium EDTA. Um, and there is some, uh, you know. Um, uh, uh, argument about the you know I mentioned there that in my opinion the um, the metal in the gizzard um, uh, dissolves subsequently if there's still metal in the gizzard it dissolves after the chelation finishes and can re uh, re um, refill the, the the body with new metal ions which trigger off a second round of problems but many there are some arguments that um, that chelation itself can facilitate uh, dissolution of those metal particles. Um, So there is some controversy about the best treatment methods, Brendan.
1: Yes. So my next question is a bit of a broad one, but I want a nice broad answer as well. So how successful is it? And what do you do if you have a client who... Um, you've you've worked it up, or you're or you're reasonably confident that that bird has heavy metal toxicity, and yet the client decides
0: not to treat. Oh, that's a good question, Brendan, because it is it does you know um, does work out to be expensive to hospitalise a bird for five days to manage it um, with repeated tests, including maybe radiographs and blood tests, um, and then to treat it twice daily consecutive for five consecutive days can add up to a significant invoice. So we do have clients who um, elect not to go ahead with treatment. Um, When we do treat, I feel when we have a good diagnosis and we treat, the success rate is excellent. Um, I, I, I would be... Um, I'd be very positive if I was talking to a client about our likelihood of success um, once we got to the point of a decent diagnosis. The fortunate thing is that um, it is an eminently treatable condition and the birds do seem to respond really well. Um, if we have a client that declines, then obviously we would talk to them about quality of life issues um, and we would talk about... Um, uh, you know, uh, ways that we might uh, give them other options. Um, It's not... There are certain clients that we would talk about um, uh, treatment uh, at home um, uh, if we were confident they were headed in the right direction and that might... um, if they had adequate facilities to hospital care the bird at home, then um, if it is a one-dimensional treatment, um, then there are some cases we would set that up. But there certainly are clients that that can't even go to that point and, and we do have to talk about quality of life. These birds, if we have the diagnosis correct, they don't do well. Um, They run into all sorts of problems with the metals they consume and the way that affects their metabolism. And so we certainly would be making a significant effort to have a quality of life discussion.
1: Yes. So getting back to the first part of that two-part question or the first question mark, so um, success rate generally.
0: I would put it at well above 90%. We, We get the vast majority of these birds cured. Well... All we need to talk about now
1: is prevention, and you sort of hinted at that with your intro to the topic. But do you want to summarise in a in a couple of minutes um, your thoughts on that?
0: There's yes, I do. I desperately do want to do that, Brendan. And there's one. Other, but there's, before I do that, there's one other quick thing I wanted to talk about: treatment. Um, there, is, the cathartics. There is a school of thought that um, you know the grit in, uh, parrots in particular, it hangs around in the gizzard for, you know, between four and six weeks. So a single particle of grit that goes in is likely to be churned around and on average will be uh, passed after four to six weeks to be replaced with another piece of grit. So there is some argument that, uh, That some clinicians make that uh, cathartics, things that are likely to increase gastrointestinal contraction or maybe have a flushing effect, would possibly get those bits of metal out much earlier. Um, And so there is talk of things like various oils or even uh, peanut butter um, that might be used in an attempt to... um, uh, cause the bird to, um, to evacuate its yes. bowels more urgently. I haven't had much success with that. And, um, and a, in a couple of large birds, uh, with large pieces of metal, um, in their gizzard, we have used a scope to get in there and, and, uh, try and get the metal out. Um, the, the, but I, not have not had great success with cathartics um, as an adjunct to treatment. So I I'm not a big. Uh, um, I often find that they upset the gastrointestinal tract in when it's in a fragile recovering state much more than they help. Um, so uh, uh, we were talking about prevention, and I think yes. this is the critical thing that um, we are. Far too, our bird owners are far too lackadaisical about the dangers of our homes. That um, free roaming birds inside will find, um, whether it's a toxic plant or um, a piece of metal, they seem particularly drawn to, you know, the glint, the taste. The or the sensation of a piece of metal. If there's um, a, a filing, a, a, a tiny piece of metal in the environment, then it seems almost magically attracted. The birds are magically attracted to it, and they will find it. So, um, just being very conscious of our indoor environment and um, and the metal that is everywhere. And trying to ensure that the birds have their own station, Brendan. We've talked about it before. The um, the the enrichment that we so cherished to give our unusual and exotic pets. If we can ensure that the birds have their station for enrichment, a play gym or a branch or a whatever it is that uh, keeps them occupied and prevents them from exploring more further afield and uh, finding that um, whatever it is, the, the uh, weight at the bottom of the curtain that might uh, be a little, might contain lead or whatever it is, um, then that's going to help us significantly. And then just being conscious of, um, you know, we think we've got a fairly non-toxic house, but um, in every uh, home there's going to be a whole array of locations that um, metals are available and uh, parrots with their um, destructive beaks are going to get access to them uh, much more easily than many other species
1: Well, nice summary there, Mark. (laughs) And I think speaking of cathartics, um, we're out of here and um, we will talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus.